Good afternoon, DEC members. I'm Steve Gregorian, President and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club, coming to you from lovely downtown Detroit. It's great to have you with us. A couple of brief announcements to get us started. I just want to take a brief moment to thank the terrific DEC sponsors for their continued support of our mission. And I want to say thank you to all of you for continuing to support the DEC with your membership and by participating in our programs. You and your membership are very important to us. Today, it's our monthly Money Talk series focused on everyone's favorite topic, your money. Each time we do this, we invite a different financial executive to share some investing thoughts. And today, we're delighted to be joined by my good friend, Sam Husko, who's the founder of SGH Wealth Management. He's joining us today from his Southfield, Michigan office. Sam provides investment strategy, portfolio management, and research for his firm's many clients. And Sam is the past president of the CFA Society Detroit. He regularly provides insights and perspectives to broadcast and national media outlets. Those include frequent TV appearances with Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox News, and Sam has been published in Fortune, Kiplinger's, USA Today, and many more. Sam is a DEC member, yay, and an important part of the DEC's Finance and Audit Committee, and I thank him for both. So let's say hello to Sam. Hey, hey, I've always been a huge fan, even starting my career when I was 23. I, I knew the importance of networking through the DEC, so uh, this is a big moment, uh, you know, a full circle moment for me, so I appreciate being here. I love it, Sam. Let's take 10 seconds and I'll tell folks how this is structured. We're going to spend 20 minutes with Sam, get inside his head on some investing topics, and in the process, give you some ideas to think about as you manage your money. And then we'll finish with audience questions from you using the chat box. So let's get started with some news of the day. Sam, there's a new COVID in town. Omicron fears have dominated the news the last couple of days. So give us your thoughts on that as we navigate financial markets on Omicron fears. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think variants are going to be a new part of life now. I mean, uh, they'll have to create some crazy names for the next ones, but we're going to have to be used to these types of things happening. Um, you know, I think what, what really is going on in the markets, though, it's, it's been a very low volatile market this year. And right now it's been a little thinly traded. So that's those moments where surprise news headlines can be much more shocking uh, to the stock market. And so yesterday we saw that 3% decline. Now, keep in mind, declines of that magnitude in 2020 uh, happened on 16 different days. And in this year, we've only seen six of that magnitude. So it's, again, been a very calm year. And another way to put that in perspective, too, is in max drawdown. Uh, this year, from the peak of the market down to the lowest point of the market was only a 5% drop. Uh, where on average, historically, that's usually about 14%, even in, in really good market years. So, you know, I, I understand it's scary not knowing. We should know a lot more. Scientists said they're going to know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but this is not a time to react. You know, this is a time to keep on your pre-plan. And, you know, it might even be a buy-the-dip opportunity for certain individuals. You've always been an op optimist, and that's why I like you, Sam. So we always begin these conversations high level with megatrends that you're watching. And you and I talked over coffee this week to prep for today. And by the way, you're buying next time. Um, and your megatrend focus is 
inflation versus reflation. So let's start with reflation. Define that for us, please, and then compare that to inflation. Yeah, I mean, inflation is the biggest question that we're getting from clients right now. I mean, everybody hates inflation. It's, it's very obvious uh, when, when that's the focal point today. But, you know, inflation is when prices increase when we're already at full capacity. So that, that's a bad thing, is, and that's harder to fight. But reflation is more a deliberate inflation to try to get out of a depression. So it's really a, a monetary policy type of tool. And that's where you know we can see from 2008, uh, the, the monetary supply uh, increasing didn't really hurt the United States. It didn't debase the currency or any of the predictions that came true then. And that's what we're kind of hoping is, is a similar path to now. But you know, I won't lie, the CPI reading coming in at 6.2% uh, will wake you up. Uh, it, it's a little bit higher than we've seen. I think the last time we saw that was November 1990. So, you know, that, that is something that it probably needs some further breakdown, but certainly is going to wake people up a little bit. Tell, uh, tell us, Sam, what are the components of that overall 6.2 CPI number? Yeah, so gasoline. Uh, and, and mind you, CPI is a 12-month rolling figure. So we're always looking 12 months ago, which that's where this transitory talk comes in. But gasoline 12 months ago inflated 49%. Uh, gas utilities inflated 28%, used cars are up 26%, and those things terribly skew the numbers. Um, Thanksgiving dinner was up 14%, which Warren was talking about today. And, you know, in a personal blow, bacon uh, is up 13%. So, you know, that there's certain areas that hit us harder than others. Um, but, you know, that's where when you see gas at 49 and utilities at 28 that's where people are, are holding out on this transitory talk, even though even though this week uh, Powell said he's not going to use the word transitory in any future discussions. So they are pivoting from that, uh, but we're still holding out ideals that it could be transitory due to inflate, uh, energy uh, with inflation. Yeah, so, well, so are those more transitory in nature or more permanent trend, energy prices pushing inflation up? Yeah, so energy is such a big part of CPI that you have to be very conscious of it. Um, 12 months ago, Brent crude was trading at $45 a barrel. And then in March 2021, that traded at $65 a barrel. So that's a 45 or 44% increase over that four month span. And the reason why that's relevant, again, is if we're doing this 12 month rolling view of CPI, then fast forward us from today to March 2022. And all of a sudden, energy isn't going to be at a 49% clip or a 30% clip. And as long as these other areas don't massively increase in inflation, which we don't anticipate, that's where overall CPI can start to subside a little bit. And so, you know, we might even see fracking again in 2022 uh, because of, of that in particular. But that's where, you know, you cannot make the transitory decision until we get to April 2022. And, and we're just really hoping that politicians, you know, don't get pressure because we're in a midterm election next year. They don't get pressure to do action for action's sake right now and, and be patient to at least get to April 2022. When you and I talked about inflation, you compared it to what happened in the 70s. So yeah. uh, my question is, what can history teach us about inflation? 
So, yeah, I mean, uh, internally, our average client age is in their 60s. So, you know, they have this visceral PTSD of what the 70s were like, where there were gas lines, price breaks. You know, one thing that's crazy is inflation caused people to get pushed into higher tax brackets back then, which is like, oh, that, that would be very frustrating if, if that were to occur. Um, but, you know, one great way to measure the, the dismal decade would be the misery index. Uh, which is simply unemployment plus inflation. It's a very simple equation. And back in the 70s, that averaged 15. And by the end of that decade was up to 22 and a half. Now, today we're at 10. That, that, that's scary. And uh, it barely hit 15 at the worst point of COVID. Uh, so it's really not showing the same numbers. And, and I would say a big difference between the two periods uh, is inflation was growing way faster than wages in the 70s. And we're seeing wages keep up with inflation today. So that's phenomenal. Um, and monetary policy has matured so much. I, I'm just so uh, thankful that, that you know, we've been able to refine that because a lot of people think all this stuff is theory. You know, a lot of it's trial and error. And you know, we learned so much from 2008 that we're able to enact today. Um, and I would say the 70s discussion is a great media tool to troll the baby boom generation right now. I mean, it, they, they know they've just got that little jab they can do to get clickbait. And uh, I, I wouldn't take it as close of a comparison. Um, a couple other periods, though, like uh, the last time we hit 6.2, I alluded was November 1990. That, that was a pretty good decade uh, to follow. So, you know, the dot-com boom after that did pretty darn well. So just because we hit these numbers doesn't mean you need to run for the hills by any means. Um, and then the other period would be obviously 2008, emerging from that uh, recession where, you know, we did print a lot of money during that time frame too. But the biggest difference from then and now is demand was nothing after 2008. I mean, people didn't want to buy anything. And the demand that consumers have today has broken our supply chain. I mean, we, we can lament uh, as to how much better things could be if the supply chain could have handled all of this. But the fact that demand is this strong just lets you know that that's, that's a phenomenal thing. Um, and what the FOMC is going to focus on is acceleration of inflation and that's not happening. So that's very, very comforting. But again, I get back to my earlier point. I mean, I'm just more fearful that the government's going to make change for change's sake and, and not be patient in a zone like this. So. so Sam, let's focus a little bit on the stock market. And we'll talk about the three S's, size, sectors, and style that you think favor today's environment and your outlook on the markets in general. So let's start with that. Talk about markets in general first. Everything's good and no one's happy. Like <laughs> what, what, it's, it's a good time. And, you know, and honestly, as an active investor, I love unappreciated. I mean, that, that just means opportunities because people, if everybody was exuberant, that's when we start getting paranoid and being like, all right, what are we not seeing at this zone? So you know, there's certainly bogeys. I don't want to discount uh, COVID, tax increases, inflation, valuations are really high. PE ratios are up to like 22. Um, but, you know, wages are growing fast. The stock market's hitting all-time highs. And financial health of individuals, debt is down. Uh, savings are up. I mean, everything's going pretty well. And when you get back to the basics of like 
how GDP is calculated. Um, consumption makes up 70% of GDP. And you know, I just got done saying the, the consumer is at one of the healthiest points they've ever been in history. So, you know, we kind of agree with analysts, there'd be more muted returns. You know, the stock market would be safer in an inflationary zone, um, but we kind of foresee 2022 in a range of a, a six to 8% uh, rate of return, you know, over the next calendar year. All right, the three S's. The first one we'll start with is size. What do you like? So I only have one choice. Uh, the only size that starts with S is small caps. Uh, no, I just, that that is what I would say too. Uh, small caps, they're more agile. Uh, they have less price anchors in their products generally, so they can more easily push on those inflationary costs uh, to their uh, consumers. So we like that in an inflationary environment. Uh, since 2010, small caps have outperformed large caps in inflationary zones. So that's another reason to lean a little bit in their favor as well too. And you know, we're only about a year and a half into this bull market. Bull markets on average last about three to five years, and small cap stocks outperform in the early expansion phase of bull markets. So that's where we would say small caps are certainly the size uh, that we'd be looking for. You think we're still in the early expansion phase? Yeah, I'd say, you know, get past these bogeys. Um, uh, the big thing we were always concerned about was corporate tax rates. And those don't seem to be on the table at all for this administration, which is, is uh, comforting for the markets. Um, and you know there will be likely some tax change in the coming uh, years or so, but without that actually changing, we think earnings reports are always going to impress people. I mean, like one trend we see is in the in-between of earnings season, that's when all the COVID negativity comes into play and all this other stuff, and we start getting down on things. And then we realize how much money all these companies are making and the markets just shoot back up. And so, you know, as long as that corporate tax rate doesn't get hit, um, yeah, we, we do believe we're still in that early type of phase of things. Good. All right, the next S, sector. What do you like? Se yeah, sector. Um, I'm gonna spell cyclicals with an S, which might uh, diminish my uh, intelligence uh, reading here, but it, cyclicals, uh, sales do start with an S and cyclicals sales uh, in October was a record $638 billion. So that's, that's that uh, uh, you know, earnings season that I'm talking about. Uh, it was projected to grow by 1.4%, actually grew by 1.7%. So even a, a very strong expectation got beat. And Alex Partners just came out, I think two weeks ago, and they're projecting holiday sales to be 10 to 13% higher uh, than last year. And if, if that comes true, that would be the strongest holiday season since 1999. So again, hold on to your seats when all these numbers come out. Um, and, and, and I'd say cyclicals are the easy bet there. Yeah, thanks. I asked you when we were having coffee, do you think on the retail side, given the Alex report of 10 to 13% higher, do you think that's already baked into some of the retail stocks? And I was surprised by your answer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's certainly somewhat expected with a, an increase like 1.4%, you know, so they're, they're expecting a lot. But I mean, one thing that I, I think is funny is we've gotten all this news about supply chain issues, you know, and everybody's like, you better get your Christmas presents a little bit earlier because it might take some time to get in. 
I mean, I got half a mind to think they tricked us all just to get us to buy Christmas presents early and maybe overspend. But I mean, that, that's the other thing now is data is so fluid that we can see these trends before we actually wake up. Um, and, and that's where we'd say that it's certainly in there, but there's still this, I mean, people hate inflation. Like I can't, I can't stress it enough. It's just like all the good things that are happening are so discounted just because people hate inflation. Um, all right. Finally, the last S style of investing that favors today's environment. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I'm not able to do anything cute with an S there. Th this one is uh, the momentum factor. Um, so this one might not be known by everybody. Uh, it's another version of say like value investing. Value investing is a, a style factor as well too. Uh, but as a side note, uh, value investing has underperformed in one, three, five, 10 and 30 year periods of time versus growth. So. Um, that's a, a tune to say to dust off your algorithms and, and get up to date there. But um, the definition of momentum is buying only the stocks that had the largest rate of growth. So we're, we're trying to buy the stocks that, you know, grew really quickly yesterday and sell the stocks that are starting to plateau. And so that would be how it works and why they're really interesting in inflationary zones and what we expect moving forward is these are the types of companies, high growth companies that can more easily pass their costs on to consumers so that inflation uh, does not impact them as much. And even more interesting is that in periods where profit margins start to decline, which is what we think we can you know, expect moving forward, uh, these momentum stocks are still able to grow their free cash flow. So, I mean, they, they really hit both major negatives that could be, you know, a, a big part of the markets coming up soon. Thanks, Sam. Folks, I've got one more question topic for Sam, and then we're going to get to your chat questions. I see a couple of those coming in, but we'd like a few more. Um, so let's do a little text talk, Sam, as yeah. uh, people are winding down the year and thinking about tax planning. All kinds of headlines coming out of DC, and we've got the build back better bill pending. That's a lot of these, but I yep. got through it. Uh, give us your thoughts on tax proposals that have the highest probability, if any, of passing before December 31st. Yeah. So, I mean, all of this is hinged on uh, Biden's unfortunate approval rating of 40% now. So he's just been plummeting. You know, this administration is really getting associated with inflation, whether it's, you know, fair or not. But you know, all the stimulus spending, people are just doing that direct tie to inflation. And so that's going to just make it super difficult for them to enact any tax law change by the end of the year. So, you know, that capital gains tax rate at 25% uh, becoming less and less likely, estate tax law increases becoming less and less likely. Uh, you know, you mentioned the BBB bill. Uh, that's how I'm going to say it. Uh, that has some income tax increases baked into it for high income earners, but we're talking like, you know, 10 million, 25 million brackets within that. So that shouldn't affect the markets in our opinion. Um, so, you know, again, getting much less likely, but get us to January 1, right? And now all of a sudden we're in a midterm election year and politicians start getting self-interested again. And, and what the numbers are showing because of Biden's approval rating is that the Republicans could take 
uh, it's estimated 20 seats in the house right now wow. and they only need three to uh take majority so you know another uh democratic house rep just this week announced they're retiring and so it's it's going to be a hard thing um and then you know if you read any news headlines next year about retroactive uh tax law change that's just clickbait too that that generally doesn't happen both sides of the fence don't like that but what everybody needs to be aware of is is not that joe but the most important joe in politics which is joe manchin um and and we've got to understand you know he's the the pushing force to what they'll be able to enact and he is not for paid leave he is not for salt liberalization and he is not for electric car uh, rebates as well, too. So the, the $2 trillion social spending bill and the BBB bill uh, both have that littered into it. And so Manchin doesn't seem like he's changing his mind at all. So that, that makes both of those difficult. Um, they'll probably kick that out into next year. Maybe the State of the Union address will be a reason that they get stuff together on January 20th. But also, I think it's going to hinge on COVID and inflation as well, too. And keep in mind, I mean, we haven't even spent the May 1.9 trillion uh, bill that that we got. So, like, do we really need more? Um, I'm I'm not quite sure, but I would say this: you know, taxes will be off the table if we get into January, and Biden's going to do a hard pivot towards regulation and trade relations with China. So that's going to be his new agenda. Um, and we, we do see smatterings of that in the, the defense bill as well, too, today. Thank you, Sam. Have you got a few minutes for some Absolutely. audience questions? Absolutely. All right, let's start. We've got a couple of DEC members just asking about crypto as an investment. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, if enough people believe something to be true, then it is. Um, and I'm sure that doesn't make either side of the coin happy. You know, the people that don't believe it are like, oh, well, that's BS. And the people that believe in it, it's like, well, no, there's there's legitimacy behind it. Um, you know, I, I would say one thing I find interesting is the average daily trading volume of Bitcoin is 9.2 billion uh, a day. So, you know, in a very short period of time, it's just massive. I mean, that, that's impressive of it on its own. That's a, tr you know, true market. Um, but keep in mind, the New York Stock Exchange uh, on a daily basis trades $5.1 trillion with a T. So it's still nothing compared to the, the stock market. Uh, why that's relevant, though, and one thing that I've noticed uh, that, that I don't enjoy about uh, crypto is just it's manipulatable, if that makes sense. Um, a market that small, one individual has enough money to actually push the markets in any direction that they want and potentially do pump and dump schemes. Yeah. And so that's where I still have some caution. Uh, obviously, there's no info to analyze. So as a financial analyst, that's a little frustrating for myself as well, too. Uh, but I don't think Bitcoin, you know, it, it's got legitimacy to, to handle the long run. But it's got to survive a real recession. I mean, what we just saw, uh, you know, it, it, I've been through 2008. That was not a real recession. Um, you know, we got to get to a point where people need to sell all their assets to pay for their rent. Um, once we get into a zone like that, and if they still decide that Bitcoin's valuable in a, in a market like that, that's where I'd say that it's completely legitimate and, and it's moved past that point. 
I got an email from somebody. Uh, give us your thoughts, Sam, on the chip shortage. Yeah. Well, you know, Morgan Stanley just came out last week and they said that they reported no shortages in Malaysia now. Um, so the chip shortage today is just supply chain. And, you know, since we're in Detroit, I'd say that other company or other industries actually uh, have bought more semiconductors earlier on than the automakers. And so the automakers, I totally understand their decision-making process. It was a pandemic, crazy zone. Who would have thought cars would be so valuable when we're quarantined? Uh, I would have probably made the same call, but uh, they might've kind of shot themselves in the foot a little in that they didn't buy enough. And so now they got to get in the back of the line. So that that's where they're going to be kind of um, affected. But, you know, when we're talking about supply chain now, we are seeing start, uh, signs of easing at this point. You know, we're still at highly elevated levels, but barring any issues with COVID or, or you know, another lockdown type of situation, uh, it's looking like everything's going to ease in 2022. Somebody emailed me, Sam, your thoughts on Fed Chair Powell's reappointment and the job ahead for him in the Fed. Yeah, it took way too long. I mean, he did a phenomenal job. I, I uh, and, and, you know, he's also liked by Yellen and Democrats and he's a Republican. I mean, like, come on, like he did an inequivocable good job. And how do I know that? Despite all this inflation talk, like despite everybody being so fearful of, of inflation taking over, the U.S. dollar hit a 16 month high like you got to think about, you got to unpack that for a second. Like we are devaluing our currency at a very high rate and our currency hit a 16 month high at the same time. And how I interpret that is we did a lot better than Europe. We did a lot better than China. And, you know, uh, we have some really good things to think about Powell. So I, I think it was political infighting. It was unfortunate that it happened. Uh, but talking about his plans in the future, looking at the Fed dot plot, you know, he has alluded that he wants to start raising rates uh, early spring 2022. Um, and then Omicron could push that out to 2023, but that's where the direction's going now. So uh, get your bond portfolios ready because uh, interest rates will be going up probably in the next 12 months. Yeah, last question. Uh, tech stock still part of your world? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're growth-centered uh, uh, stocks. So, you know, it kind of goes in the same vein as, as momentum and other things of that nature. Um, we, we think that, you know, when some things do so well in 2022, or I'm sorry, 2020, uh, which they propped up the entire markets by themselves during that pandemic time, sometimes there's a little bit of a letdown um, and people can misinterpret that in some ways. But you know, outside of that, like one interesting thing I read, uh, McDonald's, uh, which isn't a tech company, but McDonald's has started a, a pilot robot uh, program in their Chicago locations in response to the fact that they can't get minimum wage workers to, to come to work. And so technology is pushed five years fast forward in a time like a pandemic. And so, you know, we haven't really uh, digested all the benefits and future uh, efficiencies that have come from having to go through a moment like COVID, so. 
Yeah, thanks. And Sam, the toughest question of the day, bacon, yeah. crispy or chewy? <laughs> I'm a chewy guy. I don't know. I don't know what judgment of that uh, comes from that. But yeah, I'm a chewy guy. No judgment here. Well, Sam, I cannot thank you enough for your valuable Absolutely. insights and time. Good luck to you. And we hope we can do this again sometime. Anytime. Love being here. So thanks to my team. Thanks to all of you. And Sam, one last time, thank you so much for being with us. Finish the week strong and we will see you soon. Goodbye.